This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello everyone, welcome to the broadcast podcast. If you've been listening for the last few weeks, you know that we've been going through the sessions that we had during our renewal for Revival Conference. We've heard from Tom, we've heard two sessions from Rachel as well, one in Emerging Generations, another one about going wilder, deeper and bolder. And uh, today we are bringing you Jeremy's session, which is really exciting. Jeremy Simpkins runs the uh, Christ Central Movement of Churches with the New Frontiers. And uh, yeah, we were so blessed to have him with us on the Thursday morning. And um, yeah, he spoke really about the spirit coming, really, didn't he? It was really exciting. Um, Tom, what stuck out to you about Jeremy's <laughs> session? I think for Apart me... Apart from him... <laughs> Pouring water on you. <laughs> that was exactly what I was going to say. Like, that was like, the most memorable thing. Like, uh, you might pick this up on the recording, but if, if you don't, there's a moment uh, a few minutes from the end where where Jeremy was stood over me with a massive jug of water. And he was like playing as though he was going to do it. And I said, like, there's no way he's going to actually do this. <laughs> I didn't this. think he was going to do it. <laughs> and then he tipped it. And then like, there's a few drips on my leg. And I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. It's like a little illustration. <laughs> and then he's holding the jug and he pours the entire thing out all over me. And I'm soaking for the next hour. Like, absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. Um, <laughs> but he did make a great point. Like, he mm. was using the water as an illustration uh, of the Holy Spirit and how God pours out without measure so yeah I think next time uh, I see a jew of water like that my mind's going to be right back into the point he was making which obviously is yeah. the idea um, <laughs> but yeah it's a great session um, I really loved his stuff about the Feast of Tabernacles and mm. uh, what the priest was doing and I didn't know all of that background it was new to me but the way he dramatized that moment and then Jesus stepping in and saying what mm. he said I won't ruin Jeremy's punchlines there but mm-hmm. it's just such a, a big moment of uh, how that promise of the spirit from Jesus was the culmination of everything the people were longing for mm. uh, and how for us as well all our hopes all the things that we talked about the entire conference it's not going to happen without the Spirit of God empowering it. So mm. I, I thought this was great. Um, how about you, Beth? What, yeah. what were some of the moments for you in this one? Yeah, similar. I wrote down um, mm. the when he talked about the Feast of the Tabernacles, that really mm. stood out to me as well. And I think you're right. The way that he um, described the ongoings and the kind of activities during the feast, it was so vivid that you could almost picture yourself there, couldn't you? And I mm. think it was brilliant and how he spoke yeah. about that there were people that um, looked at what the prophets had done and then asked God to do it again. And then, um, yeah, they were, yeah, people who were built on the promises of God. And I think it was really challenging. It was like, okay, are we, are we doing the same? Um, so I really enjoyed that. I also, um, I found it really interesting when he was talking about the sole purpose of the spirit coming wasn't just, um, wasn't just like spiritual formation, but was to make God's people a missional people. And I thought yes. that was really challenging as well and sometimes we can look at being filled with the spirit of just you know like cleanse me lord make me new you know work yeah. in me and then it's actually and i think actually sam's session led on as we'll mm. find out next week it led on really well from this one as well about talking about missions so yeah i thought it was brilliant yeah absolutely the two really go together don't they mm. um which makes sense because all the time when jesus was promising the spirit is you know, you will go, you will make disciples, you will be my witnesses, and I will give you the Holy Spirit to empower you for the job. So those two things hand in hand, which um, uh, which is why these two sessions from Jeremy and Sam really do complement each other so well. Um, yeah. I'm interested to know how this landed for you, teaching on uh, being filled with the Spirit as someone who uh, grew up in New Frontiers world. It, was this something from a young age you were hearing teaching on? Um uh, and how has your your thinking on it developed, if it has at all? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I remember from a young age, there were, yeah, various yeah. outpourings of the spirit, often within the church that I was in. There was a guy that we called Shaky Mark, because he was always <laughs> shaking, <laughs> or falling back into chairs. And yeah, I remember, it was interesting, yeah, actually, how we spoke about, Jeremy was speaking about how we're doing exactly the same things as um, when he first joined the church, but we, we were seeing, he was seeing the spirit move more then than we are now. And um, 
And I thought, I, when he was speaking, I thought kind of back to those early days of being young and being in New Frontiers Church and regularly seeing people um, filled with the Spirit on a Sunday morning. And yeah, I don't think we are doing anything different. I think just it's, yeah, a different season. And it's interesting how, um, yeah, how we approach that in the church today. But um, yeah, I I'm, I mean, he talked about being filled at conferences and that kind of thing. And I, I was first filled at a conference and it's just very much his stories. I was like, oh, I can relate to that. And I, really, and I bet some of our listeners as well yeah. will similarly relate. But um, yeah. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, we did put on a conference about renewal and revival yeah. ourselves. So we, yeah. uh, we're probably uh, culpable on that one a little bit too. Mm. Um, <laughs> and also shout out to Shaky Mark if you're listening. Yeah. It's great. So I've got that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, for me it was a really weird one. So I became a Christian 19 years old and mm. the group of friends that I had weren't really talking about this at all. It was more conservative. Um, mm. A church that I started going was more conservative. And I got quite quickly into reading theology books and I was having two things happening. I was having some obvious experiences of uh, the Holy Spirit and he was doing stuff in my life that was really manifest and tangible and then I was reading books about how that doesn't happen. And I was trying to argue with people. Like, oh, it's not a thing. Like the spirit doesn't work like that. And mm. um, there was this real like two tracks to my life for a while until uh, I'd been grounded a bit more in the Bible. And then um, like when you read Acts, you see over and over again, people are meeting with the spirit and being filled with the spirit. I was like, oh, this is what was happening to me. Like mm. maybe those other books aren't quite on the money. And maybe the people that I've been talking to who've de-emphasized this, maybe they've missed something. And uh, mm. it took me a while, really, to, to get to the point where my experience and my understanding correlated. So uh, a session like this, for me, when I was a, an early Christian, would have um, saved me years of wrestling, but it was mm. so powerful, so, mm. so clear, and um, really helpful to be reminded. Because I think one thing that um, he said when he was talking about the conference stuff that you mentioned was how we can look back as though, oh, well, it happened to me then, so I'm fine, mm. I'm sorted. Mm. Like, I got the spirit at Stanley or whatever it was. Mm. And it, it was really good how Jeremy was posed, no, no, we need to be receiving the spirit today and engaging with him yeah. right now. I thought that was excellent. Definitely. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. That was brilliant. Great. Well, Charlotte, we hand over to Jeremy then and, uh, yeah, let you guys have a listen. It's such a privilege to be here. And, and so exciting. I'm, I, I've been really looking forward to this. And uh, it's so thrilling to see churches and church leaders and church movements uh, really hungering for revival, really hungry. I was so inspired, Tom, by what you brought yesterday in terms of the history of revival and the history of God moving. And some of us are old enough in this room. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, Paul. But uh, some of us are old enough in this room to remember God, God has done things in our lifetime which, whether we would call them revivals or renewals, I don't know, but God has done it. I'm, I'm 60 next year, and as I look back, I can think of when I was a teenager in the 70s, uh, God did something of renewal that led to something of a revival. I don't know really what you would call it, whether history would call it that, in terms of church planting, in terms of church networks being formed, in terms of God renewing that which we thought was dead, suddenly came alive, and new churches and movements were formed in the 70s. 70s and 80s, and I think as we look back, you think, oh, that was such a move of God. I mean, it, it was grace. We didn't do anything other than ask him to do it. He did it, and uh, networks were formed, uh, pioneer networks, new frontiers, and uh, all sorts of other things. And then what happened in, the, in my generation, like 25 years ago, 20 years ago, in terms of I don't know whether you want to call it an outpouring of the Spirit uh, connected to a particular place in Canada, or whether you want to call it an outpouring of the Spirit actually connected to a particular church in London, because I think what happened in HTB and Alpha, that just, God did something again, like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and we were doing exactly, I mean, Andrew was with us in Eastbourne, we were doing exactly the same stuff in 1993, exactly the same things, same prayer meetings, same you know, Alpha course, the same stuff, same, and then in 1994, we did exactly the same thing, and people started to get saved, left, right and centre. And I think we counted 100 people in two or three years, very clear. Not just hands up in a meeting, not just uh, come forward, but genuinely saved, filled with the Spirit, baptised in water, joining the church in a small group, 
functioning in the spirit, reaching out to their neighbours and friends and workmates. And then we moved, Andrew moved to Coventry, we moved to the north. And people said, oh, it won't work in the north. <laughs> Doesn't happen in the north. You know, it's an HTB thing. You know, it's, it's a very much a, an alpha thing. Alpha will not work in, we moved to the northeast. So you're okay here in the northwest. I'm sure it will work in the northwest. But in the northeast, they said it, it, it won't work. Um, I mean, a crash, they say crash, well, that's something that happens between two cars in HTB car park, you know, that's a crash. And they say it won't work, but actually we found it did work. And again, this was the end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s. God was still very much pouring out his spirit. All of grace, we just did exactly the same things. We weren't doing anything different. Again, we saw in those two or three years, in those early 2000s, again, 100 people in Teesside saved, added, filled with the Spirit, baptised in water, added to the church, reaching out to their neighbours. And do you know what? We are doing exactly the same things now, and it's not happening. In the same order. And we've just got to be honest about that. And we've got to cry out to God for a fresh move of the Spirit. We've got to cry out to God, as, as uh, Tom led us so brilliantly yesterday. We've got to cry to God. God, in our day... It's, we're grateful for the past. We thank you that we stand on the shoulders of giants. We thank you for all those who led us in the past. But in our day, on our watch, in the 2020s, we want to see another move of God. And I just want to encourage us. We need to be doing the same things. There's no magic formula here. It's we pray, we ask him, we receive the Spirit. I'm gonna, I'm, Tom's asked me about talking about receiving the Spirit both personally and corporately, we receive the Spirit and then we do the things that he's called us to do in terms of sharing the gospel, outreach, working into our communities, serving the poor, loving the nations, and God does something. And it's that God does something that we've got to cry for. I am about you, but I'm hungry. I'm freshly stirred. Coming out of this pandemic, I'm, I'm doubly stirred. If I was stirred before, I'm definitely stirred because we've lost something. We've lost so much during this pandemic. I mean, we've lost, I think, that corporate sense of us being the body of Christ together. And when I study the scriptures, it's almost always in a corporate sense of the body of Christ that God comes and fills a people. It's not you on your knees, on your study, on your own. If you look in the scriptures, I, I defy you to find me one of those in the New Testament. Maybe you could argue Paul, but there was a disciple there who came and laid hands on him. But almost all the other instances of, of fillings of the Spirit are in a corporate gathering. And we've just lost that, haven't we? We've lost something over the last couple of years. We've been grieving for it. That's why it's so beautiful. This morning, Rose is, Rose is leading us in worship and uh, just so beautiful because it's corporate sense of the body again, isn't it? A corporate, and we've, we've taught people how to be passive, haven't we? We've taught people how to watch a screen. We, we said, you don't even need to get dressed. You know, you can switch off your screen and be there in your onesie. And you can just, you know, you can, you can be there with you and just connect with you. No, actually, there's something about the gathered community together, the body of Christ. And I believe we've got to refine that, restore that, that when we gather as a people of God, Paul talks about it like a temple being built. In fact, Jesus uses exactly the same analogy. He is the living temple. He is the new temple. And we, as his corporate people, the Christ people, are the very temple of God. We're the very building of God. Living stones built together. And when we come together, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and 22, it says it's like we're building this temple on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And it's like we're building this thing. It, it, it rises, it gets built, and then God comes and fills it. Just like Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was a, a prophetic picture of what it should be like. A physical temple built and then indwelt by the Spirit. And it's that bit that we're missing. The yeah, we've been building the temples, living stones and community, but it's that I'm longing for that bit where God comes and invades, where God just fills and empowers our meetings. And that we, we've, I think we've been grieving, we've been missing that in the last uh, two years. And then I think we've also been missing the sense of really what is the purpose of the Spirit? Sam and I were talking about this earlier. It's like, really, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? And to listen to some Christians and to come to some Christian meetings, you would think the purpose of the Holy Spirit is that you would have gifts of the Spirit, you would speak in tongues, you'd have a great quiet time, you'd be a happy, fulfilled consumer of God's stuff, and you'd be a happy person because the Spirit comes and he fills you with joy and you'll be a happy person. That is a byproduct of it. That does happen. 
But that's not the purpose of the Spirit coming. The purpose of the Spirit coming is to make God's people a missional people. It's to make God's people, to turn God's people, to turn this temple that gets filled, but then to turn it inside out and to make it into a flowing river, which we'll talk about in a minute, to make it into a conduit for God to move in community, in streets, in offices, in classrooms, in life. You know, it's great. It's 20 to 10 on a, is it Wednesday? Thursday. I'm losing my days. On a Thursday morning. You know, it's great you're here. We honour you for being here. But really, it's probably more important where you are 20 to 10 tomorrow and, and on Monday. Because that's where God wants the impact of you being filled with the Spirit to be felt. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. And then nothing happened. (laughs) He said, but wait, it will happen. That's a prophetic act. Ruach, breath, breathe. And wait, he said. Wait in Jerusalem and you will be filled. And you will be my witnesses. Because that is the result of being filled. You don't just become a happier Christian. You don't just get hands in the air and sing a few songs and sing a new language. You get filled that you might be sent on mission in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I believe there's a new hunger in our hearts for the Spirit that we might be a missional people, that we might be a people on mission. We might be a people propelled by the Spirit into dark places. You know, people go to me, oh, it's really dark in my workplace. It's really dark in my school. Yeah, well, why do you think God's put the light of the world there then? Why do you think God's put you there that you actually might shine for Christ, that you actually might make a difference in your community? One of the best analogies of this, it's not a particularly biblical analogy, because people say to me, Jerry, when do you receive the Spirit? And it's a really interesting question, isn't it? And theologians like Tom will wrestle with this. And, you know, when do you receive the Spirit? Is it at conversion? Or is it, you know, is it later? Is it, you know, are, you a second, are, you a, are you dare to be a second blessing person? Or is it, and, you know, and it's very hard scripturally to kind of work it out, because there are great instances in Scripture, like Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10, where the Spirit seems to come on them, and they're all filled with the Spirit, and then it's like later they decide, oh yeah, they're probably Christian, and we'll baptise them, and it's okay. But actually, there's very, lots of other illustrations. The disciples themselves, who are obviously Christ followers, who later received the Spirit. Paul, who would say it was on the road to Damascus. Every time he gives his story, he says, it's on the road, I received Christ, I saw the risen Lord. But then three days later, a rather brave follower of Jesus gets the word, uh, would you please go to this, you know, he gets that great prophetic word, straight street, and go and lay hands on Paul. And yeah, It's that point Paul receives the Spirit. It's very clear. The Christians in Samaria, they've seen breakouts. They've seen, actually, they've seen miracles. They've seen a kind of mini renewal, even a revival, we might call it. But actually, it's not until the apostles come down to Samaria in Acts chapter 8 that they lay hands on them, they receive the Spirit. So in Acts, there are obviously delays that you can see so is it, do you get it initially? I mean, there are scriptures that would imply you do. There are scriptures like, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Oh, whoops. So I must have the Spirit if I belong to Christ. I've been purchased by his blood. I'm a Christian. I must have the Spirit. So it says it here. Uh, that's Romans 8 or 1 Corinthians 12. No one can say Jesus is Lord. And we've just said Jesus is Lord. We've seen no one can say that except by the Spirit. Oh, so I must be a Spirit-filled person then if I can say Jesus is Lord. So it's kind of a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? And theologians, some very good friends of mine, you know, wrestle with this thing. When do you get it then? Is it, or, you know, is, it, is it kind of released in you later? Or, how, how does it all work? And one of the best illustrations, which I honestly confess to you is not biblical, I'll tell you where it came from, and uh, then you can blame him. But this is a Nicky Gumbel illustration. And to me, it was the most helpful illustration about both and that I ever heard. And I heard this in 1994 at a conference. And he said this. He said, it's a little bit like, and, and this will cease to be relevant in about 10 years' time because none of us will have these. It's a little bit like your gas central heating system, he said. You know, you've got, most of us have got a gas boiler still. You know, we haven't quite joined the Green Revolution, have ground ground source heat pumps yet, but we still have, you know, that little white box somewhere? You've probably mostly got it at home. And he said, becoming a Christian 
It's like, it's a work of the Spirit. You can't become a Christian unless the Spirit has illuminated and lit you up. And it's a little bit like that pilot light in your boiler. Like, it was dead, now it's alive. It's by the Spirit. The Spirit has come, he's illuminated you, the flame of the Spirit has come, and actually this dead boiler is now warm. It's, a, it's alive, it's, it's lit up. You can see the flame, there's a living flame, I'm alive. I was dead, now I'm alive. It's the Spirit of God has come to me. And you can put your hands on me and I'm kind of warm, and there's life there. And he said, but that's not the purpose of the boiler. The purpose of the boiler isn't, do you know what, it's a bit cold tonight, let's gather in the garage and let's all gather around the boiler and put our hands on it and we can feel a bit of heat. That's not the purpose of the boiler. The purpose of the boiler is for that same flame to be turned up with your thermostat or whatever and go from a little flame to a... And if you've had some of the houses that we've had, the whole house knows that it's, it's no doubt it's the central heating on because there's creaking and banging. And, you know, where do those bangings come from? Where do those creakings come from? It's like the whole house is alive. And actually the boiler does what it's supposed to do, which is to send out life, heat, to its environment. That's a brilliant illustration of receiving the Spirit. Yeah, we've got the Spirit. You wouldn't be a Christian unless the Spirit had illuminated Christ. Unless there was life, you wouldn't, that, you wouldn't be a Christian. But we need something of the... We need something of the filling. We need something of the empowering of the Holy Spirit to come on us. And of course, that's what happened in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit comes on. But it also happens in Acts chapter 4. Because that's the other thing, is some of us charismatics, we go, oh, yeah, when were you... Oh, yes, I was filled with the Spirit stonely. <laughs> yeah, ask, your, ask, your, ask your parents... Oh, I was filled with the Spirit, you know, in New Day. And, oh, I was filled with the Spirit at that conference. And, and we look back to an event. It's, it's like saying, have you got central heating? Yes, we had it on three years ago. It, and, and I remember that lovely warm evening. You know, it was, it was just beautiful. It was, but why have you got an overcoat now and freezing? Yeah, but oh, do you remember? Let's tell stories about when we, when we had that fight through. No, no, it's now. It's a receiving now. It's an empowering now. And therefore, those same disciples, two chapters later, in Acts chapter 4, facing persecution, what do they do? They, oh, they pray in a context of prayer and asking God to move sovereignly. He fills them again, the whole building shakes. And I'm sure that wasn't the last time, because Paul writes, doesn't he, to the Ephesians. Such a famous verse. Go on, being filled with the Spirit. There's that continuous sense, that present, be being filled. Theologians don't even know how to quite say it in English, because you can't quite say it in English. Keep on be being filled. It's like, you've got a central heating system, keep on using it. Don't use it once, use it today, use it tomorrow, use it when you need it, use it, because actually that's the whole purpose of this central heating system, is to give life. The whole purpose of the Spirit is to come on us and to give us life. Now, do you know you're filled with the Spirit? Well, I think we should know. Paul, when he comes to a group of Christians, or actually are they Christians, disciples, followers of John the Baptist, we find out later in Acts chapter 19, he asks them this great question. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Because that's kind of an interesting question. Actually, ESV even uses, has the word after in a, in a little sort of asterisk. Did you receive the Spirit after you believed? So in other words, you can believe and not yet having fully received the Spirit. That's what Paul seemed to imply. And it, he asked, he doesn't say, are you saved? That's what we would say, good evangelist. Are you saved? When did you, can we, you know, did you receive the Spirit? Because obviously Paul thinks you can define when you receive the Spirit, that you know if you're Spirit-filled. And all the images in the Bible of the Spirit, think about fire, water, wind, oil, they're all very sensual, aren't they? They're all very, you know, you know if it's raining, you know if you've got oil on your hands, you know if it's windy, you, you kind of know. And we, as Christians, need to know that we are filled with the Spirit. Does that mean it happens in a moment? Not necessarily. It can be like the sunrise, gradually coming. Famously, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, my parents were members of his church in London in the 1950s, and a great preacher, uh, amazing uh, communicator of the word of God in his generation and he once said about the spirit and it was so un Lloyd Jones he said and I won't put on the Welsh deep Welsh voice but he said he said you can he said being filled with the spirit is like being drenched like being wet like wet right through and he said you can go out 
in London, and suddenly the clouds burst, the clouds open, actually you get drenched. And he said, that's being filled with the Spirit. He said, or you can go out on a, f- a foggy London night, I think he said, a foggy London night. And he said, you can, you can walk an hour through London. And he said, by the time you've reached your destination, he said, you can be drenched even to your undergarments. <laughs> and it's like, the point is, are you drenched? Not exactly when did you get it. Are you drenched? Is the boiler working? Is the fire coming? Now, I want to just basically t- talk you through how do you receive the Spirit? And I think we just need to teach our churches again. And we're leaders here. It's a leaders' event. We need to ch- teach those we're responsible again how to receive the Spirit. It doesn't just happen naturally. It doesn't just happen automatically. It can. But actually, I think Jesus teaches us and explains to us how to receive the Holy Spirit. So if you've got a Bible, I wonder if you could turn to John chapter 7. The context of this is Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, and we'll explain a little bit about what's going on here, and we'll read it in a moment. Let me just set you the context of this. There's a lot of debate about whether Jesus is going to reveal himself publicly at the Feast of Tabernacles. You'll know the various feasts that the Jews used to celebrate, Tabernacles being probably one of the the best ones, kind of like a Christmas festival. It's like the one you all look forward to, the one the kids love the most. And they would do a couple of things on the the Feast of Tabernacles where they would celebrate and remember what God has done in the past in order to pray that God would do it in the present. So they'd look back prophetically, say, you've done this before, now do it again now. A couple of things they would do on the Feast of Tabernacles, they would live out on their flat roofs. I mean, none of us have, you know, well, even if you do have a flat roof, I don't think you're going to live on it. Uh, they'd live on a flat roof in a tent for a week. They'd make this tent out of palm branches. They'd call them booths. Sometimes it's called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. It means the tents, the Festival of Tents. So it's the fe- we'd live out there in these tents. Kids would love it. Parents would hate it. You know, like, like, a, like, a, like Stonely, like a camp, you know, like those camps that we're not going back to. Um, it's like, and, and you would... You, when you go to an event like that, when you go to Catalyst Festival or Christ Central Devoted or New Day or Stonely or whatever we go to, the thing you so enjoy is coming home <laughs> to a real house. <laughs> I do. Anne doesn't. She loves camping. But it's like a, a real bath, a real shower, a real, a real tap, a real, a real bed, a real, real things. Not just these. But it, and it, it, it reminds you that it, they were reminded every day they camped out, we used to be a nomadic people. We used to be a people without a home. Now we've been given the land. And that's what they would remember. They would also remember that during their time of being nomads in the wilderness, particularly in the desert time, there was two things they'd remember. They'd remember that God provided everything they needed, particularly water. The thing you need in the desert most is water. And they would remember a particular time when Moses spoke to a rock, as you do. God told him to speak to a rock. And from the rock would flow this incredible living water, this fountain of water. And they'd remember that. And they'd say, God, in our day, let there be another Moses. Let, let, let the rock again spout forth with water. They'd kind of pray those things. They'd also remember some of their crazy prophets. Why, why are prophets always crazy, Paul? I don't know. But uh, <coughs> they kind of... They kind of <laughs> There is an answer to that somewhere, but they kind of remember their crazy, you know, Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, but Ezekiel was the craziest of all of them, and he would, he had this incredible picture, if you remember, of the temple of God, and from the temple, living water flowing from the temple steps down, out into the street, and if you actually look at it geographically, out into the Dead Sea, where there isn't life, life coming in. And this, this water teeming with life. And Ezekiel stepping into it, you remember? Stepping into it first, the ankles, then the thigh, the knees, then the waist, then waters to swim in. And they kind of remember that. And they'd say, God, in our day, would you do another Ezekiel? In fact, Ezekiel's was probably just a prophetic picture that was a, a dream. Would you fulfill the reality in our day? And they'd pray these things. They'd ask God to do it. They were a people built on the promises of God. They knew that God would come with refreshing. He would come with life. And what they would do is they would have a celebration in the centre of Jerusalem on the steps of the temple 
for seven days, seven-day feast. And every day they gather. I mean, some commentators reckon there could be up to a million people pressing in to Jerusalem at that time. I mean, just huge numbers coming to Jerusalem. And every day the priest would go through like a little ceremony. And what he would do, he would get his golden pitcher of golden pitcher, empty golden jug, golden pitcher, and uh, he would be on the temple steps, high priest, and he would march down, you know, march down the temple steps, and he'd go to the bottom, the pool of Siloam is at the bottom, he'd draw up water, he'd sing a series of the great halal psalms, with joy I draw water from the well of salvation, that was one of them, and then he'd march, you know, march right up to the top again, and then what he would do, don't worry, I'm not going to do this, Tom, um, health and safety, he would prophetically pour out the water, the the water he'd drawn out from the well of salvation, he would prophetically pour it out down the temple steps as a prophetic action. Full of prophetic action, full of symbolism. One day God's going to come and do this, but I'm just doing this prophetic action to believe one day this is going to happen. It's one day the rock will flow. One day the temple again will be filled. And he would do it for... Six days like that. And on the seventh day, which some people say was the greatest day of the feast, the culmination. On the seventh day, he would do this, you know, down the temple steps, pool of Siloam, with joy I drew water from the well of salvation, back up, back up, back up. And he would not pour it out. He'd literally prophetically pause. Do you know there are prophetic pauses? Do you know there are moments in religious ceremonies where you do not speak? I'll give you one. Does anyone know of any legal impediment why this man and this woman should not be united in holy matrimony? Oh, you don't, you don't cough, you don't breathe, you've got a child, you smother them. It was kind of like one of those prophetic pause moments. Now, the Bible doesn't say exactly. I've got to be honest. But it does say here in John chapter 7, if you've got it, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, so we know roughly when this is happening, Jesus stood and said in a loud, in brackets, northern, close brackets, voice, (laughs) if you're thinking about water right now, Uh, yeah, like you kind of ruined the ceremony. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, John writes to comment on it, Jesus meant the spirit whom those who believed in his name were later to receive. What a prophetic, poignant moment. I am the fulfilment of this temple. I am the rock in the desert. I am the temple. And from me, Jesus is saying, living water is going to flow. But you have a responsibility. You have something to do in this to be a participant in it, not just an observer of it. And while I'm fed up with us being observers of things happening on screens. I want to be a participant of what God's doing. And this is what Jesus said. He says, if anyone's thirsty. I mean, that's why you put on the conference, Tom. It's in your heart. We can see it all over you. You're thirsty for the Spirit of God. You're thirsty for renewal. You're thirsty for revival. You're thirsty for God moving in power. And I ask you, are you thirsty? Or is it like, hey, if you like, you know, what the heck, you know, I've turned up, you know. I might as well. You know, we're going to pray for people later. It's like, yeah, if you want, you know, if it pleases you. I mean, I've done enough youth work. Uh, do you remember Revive at Stoneley? Does anybody remember go back that far? Uh, you remember, it's like you'd pray for the teenagers and uh, it's like you just knew some teenagers were hungry for God. It's like, yeah, God, come on, God, give it to me. I'll take it. And someone's like, pray for me if you dare <laughs> you know it's like which ones received well the ones who are hungry for God the ones who are thirsty that, that's a prerequisite if you're thirsty if you're hungry for God it says in Revelation 22 verse 17 the spirit and the bride say whoever is thirsty let him come and take 
the free gift of the water of life. This promise is for all who are thirsty, all who are hungry, all who are desperate for God. I believe God, by the Spirit, is producing a new desperation in us. We were desperate in the 70s for God to move. We were desperate in the 90s for God to move. I think we just got kind of used to good church. We do it okay. We're probably one of the brightest in town. You know, we do it well. We have a great band. I mean, you know, great music. You know, we have a great meeting. Our kids' work is great. I mean, it used to be rubbish. It all used to be rubbish. I mean, the, the first band we ever had in our church in the 1970s was a guy on a violin who really couldn't play it. And it was, I, I love you, Lord. It was like... And like, we were going, I love you, and God came. Now we have beautiful bands that play it beautifully. But... So we've we got it all. We've got, we've got it right. You know, we've got all the stuff, meetings, stuff. But are we thirsty for God to come? Or we just, do we just get entertained? If anyone's thirsty... If you're not thirsty, why don't you ask him to make you thirsty? I love that passage in uh, Luke where Jesus says, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be open. If you then, though you're evil, (laughs) okay, fair enough, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Does your Father in heaven give the Spirit to those who ask? So, oh God, make me thirsty. God, I want to be thirsty. I, I don't feel I am thirsty. Make me thirsty. Give me that thirst, and he will give you that. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. I mean, it's so simple. This is so simple. But I tell you what, we've made it this. Come to the front, and if you're really lucky, the man or woman with power will pray for you. If you're really lucky. And you know, have you ever been in that lineup? And you're like this, you know, the man's coming, the man's coming. It's like, Tom, oh yes. Tom's, Tom's in the room. Tom's coming, I can feel his presence. And Tom, and, and there's somebody else there. Oh yeah, Tim, yeah, don't worry about Tim. It's Tom, 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 give me Tom. Give, oh no, Tim's coming, oh no, t- no, no! I want Tom, not Tim, Tim's coming. Do you know what? Even if Tim prays for you, you'll receive the Spirit. The point, we've made it about a person at the front. We've made it about leaders. We, it's not, we don't dispense the Spirit. We don't give the Spirit. He does. He's the baptizer in the Spirit. Jesus is the one who pours out his Spirit. We're all his body. Therefore, if you lay hands on somebody in faith, you're the body of Christ, and he comes through you, yes, but it's his, him doing it. We come to him. And I think we've so got to change this cult of the celebrity, the cult of the guy at the front, the woman at the front with power. Well, boy, haven't we seen some of those fall in the last few years. You know? God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. I think some people have set themselves up and I think we're to blame because we've made them to be something. And actually, it's about the body of Christ. It's about us corporately together coming, and Jesus is the one who fulfills. Let him come to me. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You know, drinking is not hard. You don't have to teach healthy children to drink. You don't have to teach healthy people to drink. It's a natural desire, and I believe it's a supernatural desire, to be drinking in the spirit. And, you know, don't get all religious, you know. Oh, holy water, wilt thou flow from this cup to mine own dear lips. Amen. <laughs> so I'm not getting it. Perhaps I'm not good enough. No, no, you have, to, you, have to, you have to take hold. You have to receive and you have to drink. Drinking is not difficult. Luther, I think, said we're in Luther King House, obviously another Luther, but Luther... Martin Luther said, everything you receive from God is received with hands of faith. Now you think of the day you become a Christian. If you can remember that, some of us were kids, but if you can remember that, you made a choice. You made a faith act where you said, I understand mentally and conceptually that Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world. Now I understand it's potentially possible for me to appropriate that into my life well, I probably didn't use words like eight years old. I, I understand that I can receive that personally 
And he didn't just die for the sins of the whole world. He died for me, and therefore I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I thank you. You died for me. I receive forgiveness. With hands of faith, you received Christ. In the same way, you received the Spirit. You receive him. There's an active receiving. I think we've just got a passive people. We've just got, we've got people who are used to watching screens. We've just got people who are used to being in an audience who become passive. When we pray, receive. I receive the Spirit. I take the Spirit. I, sometimes I just like to, I, as an act of faith, I sometimes, you know, when I'm being prayed for, I sometimes just like to breathe more deeply. Like, I want to receive, you know, I want to receive him in. I want to, I want to, I want to suck him in. I want to say, yes, I, 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 I mean, nothing spiritually happens if you take air in. But actually, there is a link between air, breath, ruach, same word, spirit, breath. So I'm just receiving. It's just an act of faith. Sometimes I put my hands out because it's just an act of receiving. So thank you. I, I, yeah, I take it. I take something. I receive something. It's an act of receiving. There's got to be a a receiving. I want you to imagine it's. Uh, I want you to imagine you've got a rich auntie Ethel. I mean, one day I'll say this, and somebody will have a rich auntie Ethel. I want you to imagine you've got a rich auntie Ethel. I want you to imagine that rich auntie Ethel, like, can she always like she's mega rich, and she's kind of crazy aunt, probably prophetic, and uh, <laughs> she always knows exactly what you want. You know that gadget, that book, that game, that bit of clothing, that accessory. Watch. She just knows. It's like she's really switched on. She knows what the current trends are. She knows what we get. She knows. And every Christmas, she sends you the most incredible gift, like the best gift. It's like it always good. Always turns up. Christmas Eve, it always there. She always just seems to send it. And you know that Christmas Eve, ding dong, the the postman calls, and you can even see the silhouette of the postman. You can see the package. Oh yeah, recognise Rich Auntie Ethel's. So that's, that's how she always wraps it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be brilliant. And so you open the door and you say to the postman, I'll just put it round the back with the bins. I'll pick it up later. No, you don't. You say, it's mine. I'll receive it. I'll take it. It's rich. It's not even yours. It's mine. Go away. I'll have it now. I'll take it. We've got to have that hunger. We've got to have that. I'll take this. I'll receive the spirit. Your father in heaven has sent you a gift of the spirit. Therefore, we receive him. Anyone's thirsty, they come to me and drink, receive. And then a miracle happens. And this is where I think we get it wrong. I think we think, then I'll be a happy Christian. Then I'll be fulfilled. The Spirit's come to fulfill. Give me life. Fulfill me. Give me destiny. Give me purpose. I am this. I am that. I, I, I'll now take all those things, those songs sing about me. Have you noticed how many songs are about me these days? They used to be about Jesus. Now they're about me being brave, me being bold, me being a child of God, me being this, me being destiny. So when did we lose? It was all about Jesus, by the way. Just to throw that out there. It's receive, and something miraculous happens from within you. That's interesting, isn't it? You drink, but from within you, the rock opens up. The temple opens up. In fact, it's interesting the words Jesus uses. The word, he says, from your innermost being. So one of the Greek words, I can't even pronounce it properly, it's kolios. It means that we get the beautiful English word colon from it. Because <laughs> it, it kind of means the inner, innermost being, the inner parts. In fact, the ancients used to think that there was, there was something of a heart here. There was something of a feeling here. There was something of a, a second brain, they believed, here. And in fact, we get, the nearest you get to that is when you hear good news or bad news, where do you hear it? Here. If, if you've got a feeling, what kind of a feeling is it? A gut feeling. It's like, oh yeah, we get a bit of a hangover. And Jesus said, he uses this word kolios from your guts, from your colon, from your innermost being. It's a deliberate word because it was the name that they used to use about the temple. It means the very centre of it all, the very, the very heart of it all, from your innermost being, from the, from the innermost place, from the, from the heart of it all. They had this phrase that they felt that Israel was the centre of the world. Geographically it isn't, but spiritually it is. They felt that Jerusalem was the centre of Israel. Geographically it isn't, but spiritually it is. 
And then they had this sense that the temple was the center of Jerusalem. Geographically, it isn't, but spiritually, it is. And they used to have this word, the center of the center of the center, the very place where heaven meets earth, the very place where God dwells, the very place where he is, and they used to call it the coleos of God, the center of God. And Jesus comes up and says, you're thinking about that temple. I want you to know that you're going to be living temples. I want you to know that from your temple, from deep within you, this is the fulfillment of this. I am going to produce in you living water. You're going to be conduits of the Spirit. It's going to come out of you. And we keep it to ourselves. We're so selfish. We're so wrong. It's about the Spirit flowing out from us. And Jesus, when he comes and fills us with the Spirit, you know, when are you happy? When are you satisfied? It should actually be overflowing from us. I said I wouldn't do it, but I don't think there's any electricity there. And then when we go through life, when we're in our office, when we're in the shop, we're in that queue, when we're talking to people, what should come out of us? And he, at this point, he really doesn't believe that I'm going to do this. <laughs> but I have. <laughs> it should come out of us. Living water should come out of us. The Spirit of God is designed not to stay resident within us, but to flow from us and to flow to the world, to flow out to us and to flow out to you. Don't just see that as a silly, childish illustration. It's prophetic. God wants you to take out from this place the Spirit into life. You look at almost all the encounters. See, there's this big argument, Tom, isn't there at the moment? the last sort of 10, 20 years about spiritual gifts. Should we have spiritual gifts in our meeting? Are we seeker sensitive? Should we even, you know, we all speak in tongues, but nobody knows it. And uh, should, we, should, we have, should we allow a gift of speaking in the tongues? Should, should we have a word of knowledge? Should we have a prophecy? How about the guests? What were they in? You know, big debates about spiritual gifts for meetings. Spiritual gifts are not supposed to be for meetings alone. We learn in meetings, of course we learn in meetings, how to receive the Spirit, how to use a prophetic word, how to, yeah, but they're not, they're supposed to be for life. They're supposed to be for the workplace. They're supposed to be out there for your neighbourhood, for your community. Look at almost all the occasions, apart from the teaching of Paul, all the occasions of actual use of gifts of the Spirit in the Bible, it's Joseph in the family, it's Joseph in the prison, it's Joseph in the palace, it's Jesus at a woman at a well. A marketplace. It's the disciples going to pray, seeing a lame man. They don't give him a healing meeting invite. Come into the temple. We'll, we'll deal with you know. Come to the meeting. We have a great meeting. Sometimes even there's healing. You might you know. No, they they heal him there. Silver and gold. We haven't got silver and gold, but we have got something. We've got something. We've been given something, and we're keeping it to ourselves because we're charismatics. <laughs> no, we've got something. That which I have, I give unto you. I only remember it in the old version. I've got something and I'm going to give it to you. It's going to come out of me. Dear friends, when we see sick people, when we see the poor and the marginalised, when we see people who are suffering as they are in our world with stress and mental health issues, we're the light of the world. We're the carriers of the Spirit. We're ones who are supposed to be the bearers of the Spirit into life. We're supposed to be churches that are conduits of the Spirit, empowering people to be Spirit-filled in life. So we want to land this and end this. Could have said so much more. Uh, I even had some notes. I looked at them twice, I think. We really want to pray. And there are no... I was going to say there are no anointed people here. That's the, that's the lie. We're all anointed. There are no specially anointed people here. There are no leaders who have it more than you have it. There are no priests that are high priests. We're all priests of God, a kingdom of priests. We're all the body of Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not deliberately dwelling in sin, which you dealt with so brilliantly yesterday, we confess it and he cleanses us of it. Actually, we're all conduits of the Spirit. We can lay hands on one another. And I think we just don't do this enough. The Bible, there's so much of laying on of hands and receiving the Spirit. Yeah, sometimes we'll pray in a meeting. Have you receiving it yet? Well, actually, no, it says lay hands on one another and receive the Spirit. That's what the apostles came down to the Spirit. They laid their hands on. In fact, so it, was so, it was seen as so powerful that Simon even wanted to buy it. I want to buy that. Actually, you can lay hands on one another because we're all priests. We're all kingdom people. So we're going to do it in our... This is table work. <laughs> 
It's not like, what's the best point of this? <laughs> right, the point of this is pray for one another. The point of this is lay hands on one another. The point of this is let's get in, let's get in threes. I think threes are good. I'll tell you why three is good. It's not just on one-to-one. And if you've got a prophetic word like Paul says, sometimes you want to give them pub- privately, but you don't want to give them just on a one-to-one basis. You want to have some accountability. Threes are good. And then just pray for one another in your threes. I'm going to pray now. Not that my prayer is not better than anyone's prayer here. Anyone could pray, but I'm just going to pray because that's what you do at the end of a sermon, Tom. And uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to impart the Spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you. Like John said, he spoke this of the Spirit. Those who believed in him were later to receive because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. I thank you, Jesus. You are now glorified. You have now risen. You have now ascended. You have now seated. You are now seated with power and authority. And from you does flow the Spirit. Thank you that you send the Spirit today, not in some 21st century light version, but you send the same Spirit with the same power and the same authority that you sent in that Acts chapter 2. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us as we obey you, Lord, not in some formulaic way, but as we just act with faith, act with obedience, just like Rachel was saying last night, act with faith, act with obedience. We're obeying you, Lord. We've got nothing in our hands. We've got nothing. We, we have nothing, but we are the body of Christ. Therefore, when we lay hands on one another, Lord Jesus, you're pouring out the Spirit. Therefore, Lord, I pray, come and fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.